Acts chapter 12, and let's just read <clears throat> from verse 1. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And then were the days of unleavened bread. When he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place and to worship you in song and thank the opportunity to sit under the preaching of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom and guidance now as I, as I speak. Dear Lord, it be your words, your thoughts. Lord, you would take this passage and uh, just encourage us through your word today. May you teach us through your word. Lord, may we leave singing your praise and giving all glory and honor unto you. We just bless now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 12 of the book of Acts is a unique chapter because it marks the end or the close of Peter's recorded ministry. Now, he's only mentioned one other time in the book of Acts after this in chapter 15. So this really is where Luke concludes his record of Peter's ministry for us. From this point onwards, the focus turns to the Apostle Paul and his ministry among the Gentiles. Peter, if you like, fades from the scene and Paul takes the limelight. And chapter 11 had concluded, if you remember, with Agabus's prophecy. His prophecy that a famine would come that would greatly affect Judea. And in response to this, the church at Antioch had sent um, a collection, they'd taken up a collection and sent this via Barnabas and Saul to aid their brethren in Jerusalem. And around this same time, there's a government-sanctioned persecution that arises against the church there in Jerusalem. And so they're already suffering through this famine, and now Herod adds to their suffering as they experience this persecution. It's a persecution that even affects the apostles. We see the, the Apostle James, the brother of John, and we also see Peter in particular are affected by this persecution. You know, bo both of these men suffer, but both of them suffer different fates. You know, James, as we'll see, is executed, but Peter is miraculously spared by the grace of God. And years later, Peter would write in his first epistle some words which you know, may have been written remembering this event. He quoted from Psalm 34, verse 15 and 16. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. We read this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and the ears, sorry, and his ears are open under their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. You know, that verse really sums up what God did for Peter here in this chapter. And it also reveals to us three wonderful assurances that encourage us as believers today in the trials of life. The first one we see this morning is that God sees our trials. God sees our trials. First Peter 3 and verse 12, it starts out by saying this, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. 
Now, the Lord certainly saw everything that was taking place here in Jerusalem. Now, as Herod sanctioned this new persecution against the church, God saw it. God was aware of it. God was watching the righteous. His eyes were on the righteous. His eyes were upon the situation. You know, it's not as if God was ignoring what was taking place. God took notes. In verse 1 here of Acts chapter 12, we're told that Herod stretched forth his hand against the church. It says, now about that time, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. The Herod that's mentioned here is Herod Agrippa I. And he's the grandson of Herod the Great. Okay, now Herod the Great, if you remember, is the, the one who had all those children in Bethlehem murdered around the time of Christ's birth. He's also the nephew of Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist. And so he comes from a family of scheming murderers, doesn't he? You know, he doesn't come from a very nice family. And the Herods were also despised by the Jews because they were Edomites. And so because of this, the, the Herods, they constantly sought to appease the Jews, to keep them on side, so to do things that would keep them happy. And that's exactly what Herod uh, is doing here, Herod Agrippa is doing. He's seeking to appease the Jews by persecuting the church. In verse 2, we're told that under this persecution, James, the brother of John, is arrested. It says, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He arrests James, the brother of John, and he puts him to death with the sword. In other words, James is beheaded much like John the Baptist had been earlier, years earlier. Now, James here, he becomes the very first apostle to die for the faith, doesn't he? Okay, Stephen was the first martyr, but James here is the very first of the apostles to become a martyr for the faith. You know, James' death here takes on special significance when we consider it in light of Matthew chapter 20. Just turn back there with me, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, and we'll start in verse 20. It says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, with her sons, worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, wilt, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And they said, say unto him, We are able. And saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Now here in Matthew chapter 20, we read of James and John with their mother. They come to the Lord and their mother requests thrones for them in glory, that one will sit on the right and one on the left of Christ in glory. And Christ makes it clear here that there can be no glory apart from suffering. And he asks them the question, he says, you know, are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I shall be baptized with? And their bold response at the end of that verse is, we are able you know, Christ then went on to tell them that they would indeed drink of the same cup. And that prophecy by Christ is fulfilled here in Acts chapter 12. 
James now drinks of the same cup as the Lord. James partakes in the suffering of Christ and he dies for the faith. The words of the Lord are fulfilled here. Christ knew all those years earlier that this is what was going to happen. The eyes of the Lord were upon James in this situation. This was God's will. As we read on now, we see that this act of killing James pleases the Jews. And so Herod apprehends Peter as well. It says there in verse 3 of Acts chapter 12, And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now Herod, he sees how much the Jews love him because he killed James. You know, and he thinks, I'll keep the ball rolling. I'll arrest someone else important. Let's take Peter. He sees an opportunity to please the Jews further. And so he arrests Peter and he puts Peter in jail during the Passover feast, intending to execute Peter like he had with James when the feast is complete. Now, it seems here that Herod had learnt of Peter's last time in jail. Now, he'd heard that Peter was arrested and somehow he had miraculously got out. And so Herod this time... He's taking no chances. Let's just turn back quickly to Acts chapter 5 and read of Peter's first or previous imprisonment. Acts chapter 5 and verse 18. I'll start in verse 17. It says, Then the high priest rose up, and they all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. And the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. In Acts chapter 5 there, Peter was arrested. He was one of those who were thrown in prison. And the angel that opened the doors and allowed him out during the night. And Herod, he seems to have heard about this pre- previous time that Peter was arrested. And so he's not taking any chances this time. He puts Peter under heavy Guard In verse 4, we're told that he's under the guard of a four quaternions of soldiers. In other words, there's 16 guards that are tasked with keeping Peter. 16 guards, and they're divided into groups of four, four in each watch. And two of these men are chained to Peter on either side, and two of them are watching the doors. Verse 6 says, And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So he's got a guard on either side, he's chained between the two of them and there's these two guards at the doors as well. He's under heavy guard. You know, Herod, he's not taking any chances, is he? He's making sure, well at least he thinks he's making sure that Peter is still going to be there for him to execute. You know, what he hadn't taken into account was the power of God. He'd forgotten or he didn't know of the power of God. God was about to do a great miracle here for Peter. Before we move on and look at that miracle, there is a question that might be asked here. You know, why was James allowed to die but Peter was going to be rescued? Now, why did God choose to allow James to be executed but he spares Peter? Well, the simpler answer is the sovereign will of God, isn't it? It's the sovereign will of God. You see, God's eyes were upon them both. 
as it says in First Peter, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. God's eyes were, were upon both of them. God saw Herod stretch out his hand against the church, saw him stretch out his hand against James and against Peter. And God used this trial to bring glory to his name just in a different way with each man. You know, with James, the deliverance from the trial would come through death. Death that was to the glory of God. He becomes a great martyr for the faith. But for Peter, the deliverance would be from the trial. He would be protected from the trial. And both of these men, the, the outcome was to the glory of God. It was God's sovereign will. You know, it's wonderful as believers to know that like James and like Peter, God sees our trials. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His eyes are upon us. He is upon the throne and he is sovereign. He is in control. So no matter how difficult the trial may seem, God has a plan. God has a purpose for it. And he will. He is watching over us in every trial we face. Secondly, now we see that God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. The end of verse 5 there we read, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church under God for him. You know, this really marks the turning point in the story. Those words, but prayer. But prayer. The church committed the situation to the Lord in prayer. Now, they just witnessed James executed for the faith. And they knew that it was going to take a miracle for Peter to be spared. And so they turned to the Lord in prayer. They don't turn away from the Lord. They don't run in fear. They turn to God. And they pray for Peter. They pray without ceasing. Night and day, they're in prayer. They're praying that God would work a miracle on behalf of Peter. In the second part of that verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, says, and his ears are open unto their prayers. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. You know, once again, we see this proven to be true here in the events of Acts chapter 12. And the Lord was about to show himself faithful in hearing and answering the prayer of his saints. And the drama that now unfolds before us in chapter 12 can be broken into three scenes, if you like. First of all, here we have Peter sleeping. We see Peter sleeping, verse 5 again, but Peter, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church under God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now in verse 6 here, we're told that it's the night before the execution. It's the night before Peter is going to be brought forth and he's going to be beheaded like James before him. And while the brethren are earnestly praying for him without ceasing, praying that God will work a miracle, what's Peter doing? Peter is asleep. Peter's asleep in the prison. I don't know about you, but most of us, if we were chained between two Roman soldiers awaiting our execution in the morning, would not have been able to sleep very soundly. 
But you know, Peter is not just asleep. Peter is in a deep sleep. He is fast asleep. You see, in verse 7, he's so asleep, the angel has to wake him up. It says in verse 7, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. Peter is fast asleep. The angel has to strike him on the side and say, Hey, Peter, wake up. It's time to go. Get up. The angel has to wake him. See, what we see here is a man at peace, don't we? We see a man who is at complete peace. Where did this peace come from? Now, he just witnessed his dear friend, James, executed. Only days before, and yet here he is, about to suffer the same fate, but he's at peace. He's asleep. Well, this peace came because of his trust in God, didn't it? Because he's trusting in the Lord. Peter was confident that God was in control. Peter was confident that God would be glorified, whatever the outcome may be. You know, he also knew the saints were praying for him, and there's a lot of peace knowing that people are praying for you. Peter is at peace on this night, knowing that God is in control. You know, Peter also had the added knowledge that Herod was not going to be able to kill him. The reason he knew that is because before Christ ascended to heaven, Christ had promised Peter that he would live to be an old man and then he would be crucified to death. Just turn over to John chapter 21. John 21 and verse 18. This is Christ speaking to Peter. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old... Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. When he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Christ had already told Peter how he was going to die. Christ had said to Peter, You will live to be an old man, and you will be crucified. See, Peter had the promise of the Lord to hold on to, didn't he? He had these words in his mind. He knew what he'd be promised by Christ. And therefore he could commit the whole situation to the Lord and he could just rest in the promise of God on that night. You know, beloved, like Peter, we have the promises of God to give us strength and peace in the midst of every trial. Every trial that we face in this life, we can have strength and peace knowing the promises of God. Let's just turn over to Isaiah 41. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Isaiah 41 verse 10, it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee. Yea, I will uphold thee, sorry, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. It's a wonderful promise from the Lord, isn't it? A promise that he is with us and we don't need to fear because he will strengthen us, he will uphold us, he will keep us. And when we're trusting in those promises, it doesn't matter how bad the trial may be, we can rest at peace knowing God's on the throne, knowing God is in control. You know, the psalmist David, he understood this peace. Turn over to Psalm chapter 4 with me. Psalm 4 and verse 8. says, I'll both lay me down in peace and sleep. 
for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. David, he understood this peace, didn't he? He understood that God was watching over him and therefore he had nothing to fear from his enemies and nothing to fear. He could rest in peace. He could sleep trusting in the Lord. Beloved, we serve the same God. And he watches over us. He keeps us. He protects us. If we know Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we are his children. And as his children, he lovingly protects us. As we said in the first point, the eyes of the Lord are upon us. He's watching over us. And with this knowledge, like Peter, we can lay down in peace. We can rest and then commit it to the Lord in prayer, knowing that he's in control. So we see Peter here sleeping. We see, secondly, Peter obeying. Peter obeying. Verse 7, it says, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And he did so, and so, and so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. Read now the angel being sent by God to deliver Peter from his prison, from a jail cell. You know, this deliverance that takes place here is in response to the prayers of the saints, isn't it? It's an answer to prayer. The saints are praying for Peter unceasingly. And the Lord now responds. God answers their prayers. He sends an angel. The angel appears here, it says, with a blinding light, and he wakes up Peter, as we read in verse 7. It seems that the guards here have no idea about what's going on. Perhaps they're also asleep and they remained asleep as all these events take place. But the angel appears and immediately he wakes up Peter and he gives Peter here some instructions. In verse 7 he tells Peter, arise up quickly. In verse 8 he says, gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And then he also says, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. Peter's given some instructions here isn't he by the angel and they're nothing grand are they they're very simple very ordinary instructions basically the angel says stand up get dressed and follow me very simple instructions aren't they very ordinary instructions you know while these are simple and seemingly insignificant instructions they are important because they show to us that peter had a part didn't he Peter's part was simply obedience. His part in this miracle was to obey, was to do his little bit of getting dressed, you know, and then follow, follow the instructions. Now, a miracle is taking place, but Peter's part was to obey ordinary instructions. Well, this is how God works, isn't it? Like Peter, we are simply to obey. Carry out the ordinary instructions, the ordinary task, and the Lord is the one who does the miracle, isn't he? God does the work. We just simply do the ordinary instructions, the ordinary tasks. You see, God alone can do the extraordinary, but his people must do the ordinary. That's the reality, isn't it? We do the ordinary, God does the extraordinary. God is the one who does the work in the hearts and lives of people. We just do the ordinary. We just do his instructions. But we have a part to play, don't we? It's obedience. And then God can work. God can do a miracle. 
That's what Peter does here. Peter obeys these simple instructions and he follows the angel out of the prison. Let's read from verse 9. It says, And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And when they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Now Peter now simply obeys these instructions, he follows the angel. He follows the angel past the first and second ward, and then it says, out of the iron gates. The iron gate opens itself. It swings open of its own accord. You know, Peter does all of this almost in a daze. He sort of can't believe it's happening. He sort of thinks it's just a vision. He's dreaming it all. It's not until the angel leaves him and Peter is left standing in the street on his own that Peter comes to his senses and realizes, I'm free. The angel's delivered me. God has delivered me by sending his angel. It's not until then that he comes to his senses and he realizes what God has done. God has answered his prayers and answered the prayers of the saints. God had worked a miracle. It leads us to a third one here. We see Peter now knocking. We've seen Peter sleeping, Peter obeying, and now we see Peter knocking. Verse 12, we read this. It says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now, having realized what had happened and considered the matter, Peter now travels to Mary's house. He travels there, obviously, because this is a place where the believers were gathered together. Okay, He obviously knew this is where they would be. He travels to Mary's house where the believers are gathered together for prayer. You know, the believers, they're still there. They're still gathered together in this place and they are still praying as Peter arrives at the house, as Peter knocks on the door. They're still praying. They're not aware yet that God has answered their prayer. As far as they're concerned, Peter's still in the jail, so they're still praying for God to work a miracle. But in reality, God had already answered. Now, Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 24 says this, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Now, that's exactly what God did here, isn't it? God kept that promise in Isaiah 65. God brought it to pass before they'd called. He'd already determined he was going to free Peter. God brought it to pass while they were still speaking. God had already answered their prayer. He kept that promise to these believers. He answered their prayer before they'd even realized it. And Peter comes to the door now and he knocks. And a maid by the name of Rhoda goes to the gate and hears Peter's voice. She's so excited that she runs and leaves him standing outside the door. Verse 13 says, And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. She's so excited that Peter's free. Peter's standing at the door. The one they've been praying for is free. She's so excited that she leaves him. And runs inside to tell everyone else. 
tell them that the one they're praying for at this very moment is standing at the gates. But you know, they failed to believe her. It says in verse 15, And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. You know, they wouldn't believe her at first. They're sitting there going, You're mad. You don't know what you're talking about. You're seeing things. You're mistaken. It's not true. It's not a reality. Think about that for a second. They have been praying without ceasing for this to happen. And now that it's happened, they don't believe it. The answer to their prayers is standing at the gate, but they fail to believe it. Poor Peter is left standing at the door, knocking. Verse 16, it says, But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they're astonished. They leave Peter standing at the door knocking until finally they, they listen to the, the young maid and they follow her to the door. They open the door and it says that they are astonished to see him. They're surprised to see Peter standing before them. You see, they're surprised that God had actually answered their prayers. Brother, what we see here is that God is very gracious in honoring weak faith, isn't he? He's very gracious in honoring weak faith. You know, they prayed without ceasing. And then when their prayer was answered, they didn't believe it. It shows they had a weak faith, didn't they? But God still was gracious in honoring that faith and answering their prayer. Beloved, how often do we do the same thing? You know, how often do we pray earnestly for something? And then we're surprised when God actually answers that prayer. Surprised that he did it and we sort of are dumbfounded by it and don't believe it. Well, we need to realize the power of our God. We need to realize that he hears our prayers. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto our prayers. He hears us and he answers us when we pray. Now, having been finally admitted into the house, Peter then has to silence them. Obviously, they're all asking questions at once. Verse 17, it says, But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Obviously, they're all asking questions at once, you know, as we all would. We'd all be excited and want to know, how did you get here? And Peter has to silence them. And then he explains to them what God has done. He outlines for them everything that God had done in answering their prayer. And then he asks them to relay the message also to James and the brethren. Now, James, of course, is not the one who's been beheaded. This is, this is James, the, the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. And following this, verse 17 ends, saying, And he departed and went into another place. Now, this is where we leave Peter. Where Peter went after this, we still don't know to this day. We don't know where he went. Except for a brief appearance in Acts chapter 15, Peter now fades from focus. And Paul takes up the limelight. From 1 Corinthians, we know that Peter traveled around with his wife, ministering, and we know they probably visited Corinth at some stage. But other than that, we don't really know much about his ministry from this point onwards. Luke concludes his focus on Peter's ministry with this great miracle, this great answer to prayer, the prayer of the saints. 
There is one more thing we need to consider from this passage this morning before we close. And that is that God deals with our enemies. God deals with our enemies. Now we've seen the wonderful truths that God sees our trials. And we've seen that God hears our prayers. And now lastly we see that he deals with our enemies. 1 Peter 3 and verse 12, the end of the verse reads, But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, if the account ended with Peter's departure, we would be left wondering what happened to the guards. We would be left wondering what happened to Herod after this. But thankfully, Luke includes these details for us. In verse 18, he begins by telling us what happens the morning after. It says, Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be, brought, uh, should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. It begins by telling us what happens the morning after. When they discover that Peter is gone, Herod obviously is greatly upset by this. And he orders for them to search to find Peter. And when they can't find him, he blames the guards. And he executes the guards because of their failure to keep Peter. And then he leaves Jerusalem and Herod departs and goes back to Caesarea, which is the Roman capital in this region. This is where he actually lived. And it's here at Caesarea that the Lord now deals with this instigator of the persecution against his people. God hadn't forgotten Herod. God deals with Herod here, this one who did evil to his people. Now apparently the people of Tyre and Sidon had somehow pleased sorry, displeased Herod, and so they came to Caesarea seeking to make peace. Okay, it says in verse 20, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him. And having made uh, Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. So they come to the king and they, they come desiring peace. They try and make things right to get Herod back on side. They're trying to please him. And Herod takes this opportunity to display his authority and his glory. And the delegates here flatter him with their words. It says in verse 21, And upon a set day Herod, arrayed in his royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God not of, and not of a man. You know, here the people flatter him, don't they? They're trying to get it back on side, so they flatter him. With their words, they call him a god. And Herod loves every minute of it. He laps it up. He doesn't give God the glory here. Herod took the glory that belonged to God for himself. God doesn't share his glory with anybody. And so God struck him down. Verse 23 says, And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. God strikes Herod down. God dealt with this wicked man. Instead of Peter being killed by Herod, Herod is killed by Peter's God. According to Josephus, Herod contracted some affliction in his bowels and five days later he was dead. It's recorded in secular history. The year was A.D. 44. And then verse 24 concludes the matter for us. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. 
You know, God dealt with the enemy of the church. God dealt with Herod. And now once again, the ministry of the Lord goes forward. God is glorified. Beloved, likewise, we can be sure that God will eventually deal with those who stand against the ministry of his word. God will deal with those who are against him. He will deal with them in, in his time and according to his purpose. We just have to trust him and remain faithful. Remain faithful to him. You know, at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, it seems that Herod's in control, doesn't it? You know, he's just killed the apostle James and he's just arrested Peter and he's trying to put Peter to death as well. It seems like Herod's in control. But by the end of the chapter, Herod is dead and the church is growing rapidly, bringing glory to God. You see, no man can stand against the Lord. You know, the secret to it all was a praying church. The church faced a great trial, but they committed it to the Lord in prayer. Committed it to the Lord in prayer, and he showed himself to be faithful. Beloved, let us remember the truth of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are opened unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this chapter recording this great miracle. Well, it's a chapter that shows us so clearly that your eyes are indeed upon us, that you hear the prayers of your saints, and the Lord, you deal with those who stand against you. Lord, may you help us to remember this, Lord, in the trials that we face. Help us to remember that your eyes are upon us, and just trust you in prayer. May you bless as we close in Jesus' name.